Welcome to Water Cooler Politics, the podcast where we discuss the latest political news and give our unique take on the issues that matter most. I'm Chris Arps, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, my wife, Becky Arps. Hi, everyone. It's great to be here. I'm excited to dive into some of the hottest topics in politics today. That's right, Becky. We're going to be talking about everything from the latest White House news to the biggest stories in Congress to the state of local politics in our own backyard. And we're not just going to be giving you the same old tired talking points you hear on cable news. We'll be bringing a unique and fresh perspective to the issues we discuss. That's right. So grab a drink, pull up a chair, and let's dive into the world of politics together. Before we get started, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. And be sure to follow us on social media for even more great content. Thanks for joining us, and let's get started. On January 19, 2023, the United States reached the debt limit of $31.4 trillion. The Treasury announced it can take extraordinary measures that will take us to between July and September of 2023. What does extraordinary measures mean? Becky, the extraordinary measures that the Treasury Department is talking about is moving money from different accounts or delaying some payments that the United States has to make will be technically out of money in September. And so these are just temporary measures. So Speaker McCarthy and President Biden have gotten together at least once to talk about the debt limit and how they're going to fix it. McCarthy has called out Biden for not talking with him again. And Biden says he's waiting on a GOP budget. Has the GOP presented a budget? No, they have not presented a budget yet. And that's where the politics is happening right now. The $6.9 billion, trillion dollar, excuse me, budget that the president sent over is dead on arrival. That's what usually happens with budgets. But the president has shown his budget first and he's playing chicken with the Republicans and saying, you need to show us your budget so we can start negotiating. The Republicans have really pushed themselves in a corner now. They have said that they want to reduce spending to 2022 levels for fiscal year 24. That leaves a lot of money, $131 billion that has to be cut somewhere. We talked about it on one of our last podcasts that most of the budget is discretionary spending. That is money that has to be spent. There is a small amount of money that you can use to cut the budget. Republicans have said that the Pentagon budget is off the table also is Social Security and Medicare. And so because those items are off the table, the president and the Democrats are basically saying, show us your budget. Where are you going to make cuts? Are you going to make cuts in domestic spending? And that's the impasse that we have right now. So if the discretionary spending is obviously off the table and Medicare is off the table and defense spending is off the table, what is what's left? Well, there's not much left. Republicans will say that there is plenty of waste in the government, fraud, abuse and waste. You can find money there. They are also saying that because Democrats have raised taxes, that we have plenty of money that should come in to cover expenses through those taxes as well. I mean, what happens if we don't raise the debt limit? Well, if we don't raise the debt limit, then the United States technically defaults, which throws our already shaky banking system into a turmoil. 
All of the banking systems nowadays are interrelated. So if the United States defaulted on its debt, the most powerful, wealthiest country in the world, you would see a downward spiral in the banking sector all around this world, uh, which could possibly turn into a depression, not a recession, but a depression. You know, most people think that they would never let it get to that point. Right now, McCarthy and Biden are just negotiating to see who will blink first. So hasn't the House Freedom Caucus released a budget? No, they have not released a budget. They have said that there are budget cuts of $132 billion that are outside defense. Of course, as I said before, they've looked at waste, fraud, and abuse. And they have stood firm on this, that that $130 billion has to be cut. Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, made a commitment to the House Freedom Caucus that he would stick with that $132 billion. So there's a real battle coming up here. There's a battle between Kevin McCarthy and his caucus and the administration, Joe Biden. And then you have a battle between Republicans themselves, between moderate Republicans who want to cut a deal and don't want the government to get close to default. And then you have the House Freedom Caucus members who basically told Kevin McCarthy, we made you speaker because of this promise you made to us. We're not going to relent. So Kevin McCarthy's fighting a two-front battle with his own caucus and with the president of the United States and the Democrats. Historically, Republicans lose when we get to a crisis of raising the debt limit. Is that going to happen again this time? Probably because, you know, the Democrats, whenever you talk about budget cuts or the debt ceiling, they give the impression that Republicans want to cut people off welfare. They want to throw grandmother off of her Social Security and her Medicare. And that's just a tough, tough thing to fight against. If you were to offer them advice on how to proceed, what would you offer them? I don't know what advice I can offer them, to be honest with you. I mean, this is going to be a fight that's going to come down to the end. As I said, you have the Freedom Caucus members who said they are not going to relent. They want these cuts to happen. Kevin McCarthy is in a very precarious spot because his speakership basically depends on the Freedom Caucus still supporting him. So if he uh, seems to uh, look like he is relenting to the Biden administration and giving in some, then he could lose certain members of his caucus. They could call for a vote to oust him and he could be removed as speaker. Sounds like regardless, I think the U.S. people are losing on this one. Well, it's a thing that we have every single year, unfortunately, where we have a debt ceiling fight. There has been talk by the Democrats. They want to eliminate it outright. Or a lot of uh, Republican members say that if they extend the debt limit, to do it more than for one year, to do it for a couple of years so we don't have this drama every year. Too bad we can't get our uh, budget in line so that we can stop having to have this drama. Well, you know, the Democrats always say that your budget shows what your priorities are and their priorities are spend, spend, spend. And Republicans, of course, we are fiscal conservatives and uh, we want to not spend, spend, spend. So there's always going to be that conflict there. Get ready to uncork a new adventure with Wild Wine Life host Ray Maxwell as he uncovers the perfect pairing of delicious wine and the great outdoors. From hunting and fishing to foraging, Ray takes you on a unique culinary journey that will leave your taste buds singing. Catch all of Ray's Wild Wine Life videos on the Wild Wine Life Facebook page at facebook.com slash wildwindlife, all one word, and savor the memories, flavors, and adventure of Wild Wine Life. 
Former President Trump announced that he could be charged by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg for failing to account properly for hush money paid to his alleged mistress. I'm sorry, what kind of crime is this? (laughs) You know, I said on my Facebook page today that this sounds eerily similar to the Monica Lewinsky, Bill Clinton situation back in 1998, I think it was. You know, the Democrats all kept saying that, look, this is a story about sex. The president lied under oath because he did not want his wife to find out about this. He did not want this to become public. So he lied under oath. You know, it's amazing to me that the district attorney of New York is going to indict and arrest and mugshot and fingerprint a former president of the United States because he paid hush money to a porn star and didn't list it on his campaign finance report. Shows Trump derangement syndrome to the max. Republicans are making the case that you look at New York's crime and how it is just out of control. And this is where the district attorney wants to use his time and his resources prosecuting the former president of the United States for paying hush money to a porn star. Is this political? Oh, it's downright political. You look at this case at the beginning of it. The U.S. attorney in New York And the previous district attorney of New York each turned this case down. They didn't think there was enough evidence to prove that the president maliciously did not report this to avoid a campaign violation. This was something that was sex, just like the Democrats said during Monica Lewinsky. He paid this money to this porn star to try to keep this quiet before the election and avoid embarrassment to the public and from embarrassing his wife. Yeah, technically, I guess you could say this is a crime here, but it's a misdemeanor crime originally what it was, and they've ramped it up to a federal felony charge, but this is a misdemeanor. And the fact that this district attorney is going to fingerprint, mugshot, and arrest a former president of the United States for not listing this on his campaign disclosure form shows, as I said, TDS syndrome to the max. And I think this is going to help President Trump in the short run and the long run, because everyone, no matter how much you like or dislike President Trump, once the real details of this comes out of why he's being arrested, I think he's going to get a lot of sympathy and empathy. Didn't Speaker McCarthy say that if they did actually arrest President Trump, they would do a hearing to find out if there was any federal funds used in this prosecution? Yeah, that is a threat that Kevin McCarthy has threatened that if President Trump is arrested and fingerprinted and mugshot, that he will call for this district attorney to be subpoenaed and come before a House committee. He's also threatened to bring up the assistant district attorneys and bring their paperwork up to the Hill in order to testify and give the reasons why this is justified. So ultimately, how does this play? Who are the winners here? Well, I think in the short term, definitely President Trump. I mean, he's going to get if this happens. I mean, he has said that he's going to be arrested tomorrow. DA's office, of course, has not commented uh, on that. They have put out a statement saying that they will not be intimidated by outside forces. So we don't know for sure if he's going to be arrested on Tuesday. Maybe this was President Trump trying to get ahead of the issue. I would think that if there were original plans to arrest him tomorrow, that's not going to happen. 
because this has been so set up and so pre-planned that I would assume that they, if they are going to arrest him, they would do it today. We're taping this on Monday, or they would just put it off for a week and do it next Tuesday. The president has called for his supporters to protest. If he is arrested, Speaker McCarthy has said that is not necessarily a good idea, and he doesn't support that. Would his arrest be part of a grand jury? Don't they currently have a grand jury that's hearing this? One of the reasons that they said that he probably will not be arrested on Tuesday is because the grand jury is still in operation and is scheduled to hear testimony today. And uh, legal experts that I've read have said it's highly unlikely that the grand jury would end testimony on Monday and he'd be indicted on Tuesday. Again, I think President Trump is a master PR aficionado. He knows how to work the media. He knows how to work public perception. And I think this was a tactic to get out ahead of this, to prepare his supporters that he could be arrested and just keep their anger fomented for the next day or the next uh, days. So how do the other Republican candidates for president play this? I don't know. They're in a very tough situation because, you know, of course, Donald Trump is their rival. And, you know, if you see your rival having some legal issues, you know, you, you would think that's good for you. They have to be very careful because Trump is the de facto leader of the Republican Party. He is the front runner right now. And if it looks like they are piling on against him, uh, they could be called rhinos. The response that we've seen so far from the candidates is that this is a witch hunt prosecution. And that the DA and the Democrats are playing politics with the law. It's a good policy position for them to have right now. But as this uh, can goes on, it'll be interesting to see what tack they will take. We'll have to revisit this next week to see what happened. Yes, definitely. Next topic I want to talk about, Becky, is this SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, the second largest bank failure in American history that happened a couple of weeks ago. You know, I always try to tell my audience that I watch the Sunday show so you don't have to. And Elizabeth Warren, senator from Massachusetts, who's on the banking committee, really made the rounds on the Sunday shows yesterday. She basically said the same exact thing that SVB occurred because under the Trump administration and with the help of some of her Democratic colleagues, that regulations on mid-sized banks like SVB were relaxed. And because those restrictions were relaxed, that is why we've had this bailout and the collapse of SVB Bank. Part of that is true, but where the real emphasis is and what I'm reading is that regulations were relaxed on SVB Bank, but the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, which is the regulator for SVB Bank, fell down on the job regulating the bank. You know, you look at this bank collapse about a month ago, about a month prior to that, a lot of shareholders and investors were taking their money out of the bank because public statements that the bank has to file show that this bank was in trouble. And so those investors got out and kept their money. Now, if these investors saw that, why didn't the Federal Reserve of San Francisco notice that this bank was in trouble? And what is even more troubling is that the president of SVB Bank is a board member on the Federal Reserve 
of San Francisco. So I think Elizabeth Warren is trying to play politics. We know she's a Democrat who likes regulations, who hates capitalism. She's trying to put this on Donald Trump and on regulations. I think once the investigators really look into this case more closely, it's not a question of the regulations. It's a question of the regulators not doing their jobs. Well, it's interesting you say that because in 2021, a Federal Reserve review of the bank found issues. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm supposed to be providing oversight and I find issues in 2021, I'm going to be following up in 2022 to see if they did something about it. And it doesn't appear like anything was done. No, it doesn't. And, you know, this is something that needs to be investigated further. I think we really need to look at that connection between SVB's president and his role on the San Francisco Federal Reserve Board and why First of all, he didn't tell Federal Reserve that, hey, my bank is in trouble. We may need to do something. And why wasn't his federal board members aware of how badly this bank was performing? I tell you one other thing with this SVB situation that uh, really infuriates me, and I hope Congress passes laws or does something to remedy this. But it's really disturbing that a couple of days and even a day before SVB bank collapsed, that big stakeholders in the bank were given bonuses and were giving raises and salaries right before the bank collapsed. You know, I'm not an attorney, but my God, it looks it has to be a case of insider trading or something. And I don't know how these people, you know, can sleep at night. I guess they can because depositors didn't lose any money. The, the government made them whole. But that was up in the air at first. Or we didn't know if people that had over $250,000 in accounts at that bank, were they going to be made whole? And I don't know how these bankers could take millions of dollars out of this bank knowing it's going to collapse and that some of the depositors may not get their money. You know, you talk about greedy capitalism. That is the definition of it to me right there. Absolutely. And I'm just concerned that what they did to prop up this bank is going to long term affect small to medium sized banks across the country, including well, not only this bank, but also Signature Bank in New York. Well, I don't know if it's a question of propping up the bank. What happened was it was just poor management. I mean, these banks, because we've had such an environment of low interest rates, for such a long time, these banks thought that it was going to be permanent. These uh, interest rates were going to stay low. And so to hedge that bet, they bought treasury notes and treasury bills. They made a ton of money off of that because the interest rates were so low. But what they didn't think about was what happened where we have a recession or we have something where interest rates have to rise. And when those interest rates started rising, the value of those bonds and those notes in their portfolio lost value. As you know, Becky, banks have to have a certain amount of liquidity in their banks in case people want to run on it and, and take money out. And because they had lost so much money on these notes and these treasury bills that they were below the liquidity liquidity excuse me requirements. And so they started selling off assets to try to bring the liquidity back up. Investors started noticing that. That's when you had the run on the bank, and that's what made the eventual collapse of SVB Bank. So it's one thing I read somewhere that they were talking about one of their problems was the work from home policy and the fact that everyone was spread all over the place, including the president multiple times working from Hawaii. How is that a problem? I don't think that is a problem. Look, we're in the 21st century, the age of Internet 
You and I do a lot of traveling in our business. We can do our work anywhere. I literally do my radio show out of town sometimes. We can communicate with anyone that we need through the internet, through our computer. So I think that's just an excuse by this bank and by supporters of the bank to try to say that's the reason for the collapse. Look, this bank is going to be heavily investigated, but from the preliminary investigations that I'm seeing, it was just a poorly run bank more than anything. Thank you for listening to this episode of Water Cooler Politics. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast.